Hey family, welcome to We All Need Each Other, the podcast from Transformation Ministries. Aaron, thanks for joining me again. Uh, man, I'm excited about uh, this conversation we're about to have because I know you and I were both a part of uh, a pretty cool event called Timely Topics, but a lot of people weren't there. And hopefully we can give them just a little bit of a taste of what it was like. Um, they'll get to hear the speakers, um, what they shared. And then also you and I have a little bit of a little bit of thought to add um, after each speaker. So um, to start us off, how about you tell me what you, how you would describe the event Timely Topics? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it was a, to me a very unique gathering of people, and it was also kind of a culmination because you know if listeners remember, you know we kicked off this year kind of talking about some of the things we wanted to do in in twenty twenty two, and putting on events like this was was one of the main things we talked about, mm-hmm. and part of that was again just bringing different groups of people together and talking about things that might be a little difficult to verbalize and sometimes can get a little uh, feisty even maybe, you know, when you talk about them in, you know, your average group setting. Um, but what, to me, what was different about this group setting? So first of all, you mentioned we had our speakers. Um, we had three great speakers and um, we will uh, see them, you know, later on in, in the podcast. Uh, they all did an incredible job, all very knowledgeable and, and really brought some key insights on the topics Um, and then what I thought was really cool about this was then we broke off, right. And we were, Mm. we were in separate groups talking about what we heard. Um, and what was cool about that was we, the way you set it up was that everybody kind of got to choose which group, which breakout group they went into. Right. So Mm. I felt like everybody was super engaged Mm. already before they even got in the room. Right. Mm. They were, this was something that they wanted to engage in even more. Um, and well, I, what was interesting about my group was our, our speaker actually had to leave. So it was like our group kind of talking about the session mm. uh, without having the speaker there, which made for an interesting dynamic. I would love to hear about um, the other groups that I wasn't in, because I believe they had the speakers in there kind of helping mm. facilitate the discussion. So all that to say, it was just, I, I felt like we had some really um pointed discussions right not that they were angry or intense mm-hmm. but but we 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 got to some difficult uh topics mm-hmm. and but we did it in a really good way and then what was really cool is then we all came back together at the end mm-hmm. and kind of debriefed the whole thing and it to me the, the end of the event what really felt like a celebration and mm-hmm. a just kind of a a breath of like okay we can talk about these these timely topics in a way that's healthy and that everybody leaves the event feeling energized instead of mm-hmm. when I've been in some of those situations before, sometimes you feel like, oh, I didn't, maybe I didn't say what I wanted to say, or maybe there was something somebody said that really kind of got to me. And I didn't feel that way at all. It was more of just like a, wow, that, that felt really, really good. And uh, I don't know, it was very, very refreshing to to have that happen when we're dealing with topics like, uh, you know, race or differences in the church. I mean, mm-hmm. these are not, you know, the easiest topics to talk about. So mm-hmm. it was, it was very unique and very life-giving. And, um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, listeners, uh, might, uh, consider coming to more of these events that we're going to put on in the future. Yeah. That's, that's really confirming for me to hear you say those things. That's what other people have said to me too just the uniqueness of the, of the event, because it combined different, different things that a lot of people have been to hear speakers. A lot of people have engaged in big group conversations. Um, but rarely do you kind of combine the two where yeah. you listen to someone speak in a topic, then you get to split up into a smaller and more intimate group and have a, have a really strong conversation, um, where you get to go deeper, you get to say what you feel and what you think. Um, and, I was just so pleased because it was clear early on in the event that the the crowd, the people that were there were were really excited to be there, excited to hear the speakers. They were giving standing ovations for the speakers and just like yeah. being very interactive from the get go. Um, so I think that had a lot to do with it. The, the, the people that were there were really engaged. Um, 
So honestly, as the as the one who was kind of organizing the thing, I didn't know what to expect, and I was kind of blown away. Um, I wish that I wish that more people could have been there. Although our capacity was, we weren't quite full, but we were getting close to being full. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I it definitely makes me think that we need to do it again. Uh, several people have said, "When are you doing the next one?" Uh, so we'll talk about that later in the in this episode as well. But I want to go ahead and introduce uh, the three speakers. Um, that way, I don't have to try to introduce them later in the in the episode. We'll probably just roll from one to the next after we talk about each one a little bit. So the first speaker is Marla Godet. Marla is the CEO of an organization called Mentoring Moments. She's also probably better known, or at least I know her better, as just a local activist, someone who's always out in the community speaking, organizing, leading the charge on issues of justice um, or issues of um, community building. And so I was excited to have her uh, at this event and she didn't disappoint. She brought, she brought the passion. Um, the second speaker was our own Corey Lance. He's the executive director of Transformation Ministries. Corey's been in this neighborhood for, man, 12 years now, uh, just investing every day of his life into the community. Um, <clears throat> he doesn't speak in this style very often here. Uh, he's more of a, an executive director, right? Like he's, he's kind of doing the business of, of Transformation Ministries, but he's a gifted speaker. Um, and I think people will hear that when, when we play his speech. Um, and then Dr. Regina Hill is uh, an amazing woman. Just, uh, I know that you have a connection with Regina. Um, she was at Bethel for, for years. Um, she's the vice president uh, for diversity and inclusion at St. Mary's. Uh, she's also on the board of directors here at Transformation and is from this neighborhood. Uh, she grew up here, uh, loves the neighborhood, loves the city, and wants to see good things happen in the city. So um, it was, a, it was a, a great cast of speakers. I, th I was so pleased um, with how it turned out. I'm, I'm gonna, it's going to be a challenge to, to match that lineup for the next one, um, but I'm excited for, um, for whoever comes next. Uh, I think we'll I think we'll find the right people. Any any more thoughts before we uh, roll into the first of the speeches? Well, just, you know, like you said, it was a great lineup and all people that have really invested in this community, mm -hmm. right? And have deep roots and, and like you said, are, are well known for, for their work here. Um, and I think that made for just a very, yeah, it, it felt like a, a community there, you know, at, at that event. We were all um, a part of trying to talk through these issues and, and help make our community stronger. And I, I think events like this is, is how you strengthen a community, right? Mm. It's, it's being open and authentic and yeah, let's, let's talk about the tough stuff and mm. let's do it in a healthy way. And um, it was just a beautiful, to me, a beautiful picture of, of what the body of Christ is, is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it was, it was fun to see how people who all love the community, all take different roles in the community um, came together for the same thing, but also they all kind of brought their own people with them. Like some people came yeah. because they wanted to hear Marla. Some people came because they wanted to hear Corey, some for Regina. Um, and those people all made connections throughout the day. Um, yes. and I think that is, to me, that's, that was made the event worth it. Um, yeah. for, for people to meet other people who are like-minded who maybe wouldn't have crossed paths otherwise. So yeah, I was very pleased with that. So let's go ahead and get into the first one. The first one is Marla Godet, and um, her her talk was called "Who Are You." What makes you angry? <clears throat> what makes you so angry that you feel it in the pit of your stomach? What makes you so angry that sometimes the topic makes you throw up because you're just sick? What makes you so angry that you can't sleep? What makes you so angry that you put on your black lipstick, your camo, your high heels, 
your big earrings and your Justice Springs brand, and you stomp all off down to the city county building, and you start kicking down doors, because that's what I'm about to do. Come on. What makes me that angry? Injustice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where did that come from? I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it started. I don't know who, where it developed. All I know is when I was 12 years old, a girl who we called LD, in our way back language, learning disabled, was trying to get on her bus. And kids kept pushing her and messing with her. And I was standing to the back and I said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why are you messing with her? Leave her alone. Why are you messing with her? Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why are you messing with her? And someone grabbed her and threw her down. And before I knew it, I had jumped on them and I started whooping them and I could not stop. Not I would not stop, I could not stop until Mr. Banks, the science teacher, grabbed me. He said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Because I never got in trouble. Mm -hmm. I never said a word in school, ever. I was afraid my mother would kill me if I got in trouble in school. I refuse to stand by and watch someone who could not defend themselves be brutalized. I didn't know that that's what that was. At 12 years old, I didn't have words. When you don't have words, sometimes you fight. At six years old, Easter Sunday, and I was pretty as a peach. Amen. <laughs> because my single mother worked at Great Lake Steel. Had them coins, ruffles from head to toe on this girl. And I had a daddy that worked at Chevrolet. Patent leather shoes. Big bows. But my friend in Sunday school had a huge dress with rips and tears in it. And I went home and I put all my dresses in a bag. And my mother said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking Sister Gilliard's kids these dresses. She said, not today. I said, well, her dresses had holes in them. She said, I understand. We can give them some things. That's a good heart. You want people to have nice things like you. That's what you should do. But you have to do it in the right way. That was at six. So something was always beating in my chest to help someone who had less than me. Go back to Detroit, Michigan and see people on the street sleeping and somebody kick them. And I walk back and kick them. Big fight. I don't think a lot of people even know about that. I could have been killed. What are you willing to do that you would die for? 
Because if you don't have something that you will die for, you're not living. We all have purpose. What is purpose? Purpose is something that was created for an intent. People say, I don't know why I'm here. You need to figure it out. And I'm telling you, you know why you're here. Because it's whatever it is that you will die for. It's whatever it is that makes you so mad that you will get up and you will put on your black lipstick, your high heels, your camouflage, and said, justice is screaming, and I'm about to stomp on down to the occasion and make something happen. That's purpose. Too many of us walk around today with no purpose. An undefined no purpose. It's there. We cannot be like the man in the book, ordinary, who said, Every day I'm going to sit in the land of familiar in my comfort zone and do nothing but watch this box and wait on the dream giver to allow me an opportunity to do something. We have to get up and do it because we know the dream giver already has given us permission. When we were created, he gave us permission. We get stuck and we do have to wait. But the dream giver in ordinary's world knew he had these kind of complacent people. So the dream giver would leave a little white feather on somebody's windowsill and he would say, permission granted. And once you knew you got that feather, you had the opportunity to go out and to follow your purpose. Mm -hmm. That feather meant that you were protected and you were on your way to go and do what you were created to do. So I encourage you, don't be ordinary and wait on that feather. We already know mm -hmm. that we have the right to go and follow our purpose. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, this was such a powerful message, I thought, from Marla, which was interesting. I, so this was the first time that I had met Marla. Um, and I recently ran into her again and Takesha Jacobs, uh, who's another friend of, of Transformation Ministries, great activist um, in the city. I ran into both of them at uh, a networking event in town. And it again, just this idea of community, it was it was cool to yeah make connections at this event that now, um, you know, I, I again feel like I have more of a community with people uh, here in South Bend and, uh, and that started here. I was just blown away by Marla's passion, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, she really got me thinking here about sort of the purpose of anger and anger is such a loaded word, right? And especially in these discussions of race and justice and um, how, how we, you know, seek to fight for justice and, and make our world a better place. Uh, this idea of righteous anger I feel like gets talked about a lot, um, but it can be really tricky, I think, because, uh, you know, it's, it's easy for me to look at, like, let's say the biblical story of Jesus overturning the tables, right, and say, oh, Jesus had righteous anger in that, in that moment, and that means that when my anger is justified, you know, that's okay. Mm. It's easy to say, but boy, it's, it's very tricky when, when you try to put that into practice, right? Because what if, what if I think my anger is justified and it's not? And she really got me thinking about when is anger justified? And are we trying to, I guess the way I would put it, are we just trying to like baptize our personal, you know, anger and, and the ways we're slighted, or are we really fighting for justice, you know? And, and, and it's easy to say that we're, we're doing that. Um, but, but, but are we really, you know, and her passion is just so palpable and, and you hear, you know, her story and um, 
again, yeah, just everything she brought to that, uh, that speech, um, you can tell she knows what it means to fight for justice. And Mm -hmm. it was very, very moving and yeah, very, very challenging, I thought, but encouraging at the same time of, yeah, don't, uh, you know, again, it's easy for me to feel slighted. It's easy for me to get angry about things, but pause and like, am I really fighting for justice in this Mm -hmm. area or, or is it, is it something that's, uh, that's not really helping the community. Is it just like a personal, you know, slight? I that I I thought, um, yeah, she had a lot of really good points about that, and and it, it made me think. I wasn't in her group in her discussion discussion group after, but I was thinking about her speech for a long time after mm-hmm. the day was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that struck me, uh, just like you said, it raises this really good question of um, when where's the line on our anger, right? Like where's the line between justified and unjustifiable anger? Um, I think one thing that Marla made clear in, at least in her speech to me was her anger comes from seeing other people suffer injustice. Um, And and to me, that's a good guide. Um, Is it just for me? Is it my own hurt feelings or uh, feeling disrespected or whatever? and I, there's probably a place for righteous anger in there somewhere, but I feel like if, if it's be, if it's on the behalf of someone else, um, that's coming, that's at least starting from a really good place of, of caring for, for your neighbor, for your loved one, for, for a child of God that is being mistreated in some way. One thing that, one thing that she talked about was she kind of left the question of, I don't know where this came from in me. Um, I don't know when it, you know, I know I had it when I was a little kid. So it makes me wonder, does this kind of passion uh, and this kind of desire for justice, is that something that is in all of us and we just have to tap into it? Is it something that we can kind of cultivate uh, and, and develop over time? I don't know. It's just one of those things that I've, I'm left to ponder a little bit uh, and then also measure in my own life, how passionate am I really about justice? Like, I like to say that I am, but am I like Marla, like, willing to walk down to the county city building and start making stuff happen not not usually i've never done that um so where does my passion level rank and and what do i do with that um you know i've we all have to kind of find our own lanes but it it, for me it helped me it gave me some things to to self-reflect on uh and i really appreciated that yeah yeah it's like if you're really going to be fighting for justice right there's going to be some level of risk in it Right. Yeah. If like, if if you're able to just stay comfortable and I, again, not I don't know, I don't want to discount people who, like you said, everybody's got their lane. But I, mm-hmm. yeah, I do think there has to be some kind of action step. And certainly, I have not taken some of those action steps that Marla has taken, and that mm-hmm. was part of what was so challenging to me from her mm-hmm. from her speech. It's like, yeah, there, you do need to step out and 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 take some risks sometimes, but it's in service of other people, exactly like you mm-hmm. said. I think that's a great prism to kind of look at this through are we trying to help others um in our passion in our you know anger for justice however you want to phrase that but is it Mm -hmm. is it focused on other people yeah 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 the only other thing i would say about marla and and what she contributed was you mentioned at the end it ended up being kind of a celebration so after the discussion groups we all kind of reconvened and we did a debrief time and it wasn't the speaker's up there in front, it was the the participants in the discussion groups. And I will say that the people that were in Marla's discussion group uh, kind of set the tone for, yeah. it was kind of like they were sharing testimonies Absolutely. Uh, of, of something that clicked in them or something that changed in them uh, from that from that time. And I just was, it made me so appreciative of, of what she what she contributed and um, and people were giving her hugs uh, yeah. afterwards saying, thanking her for what she did and what, what that time meant to them. So that was, that was a really beautiful thing. And I was actually sitting right next to her and she mm. was just cheering people on <laughs> and just, you know, yeah. just such a positive influence yeah. on the whole day. Um, yeah, I, I, it was, like I said, this was my first time meeting her. She's just a really powerful personality mm. and just such mm-hmm. a great presence in the room. She, yeah, made, definitely set the tone. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I had planned on bringing three new speakers for the next one, but maybe we need to bring Marla back every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Okay, let's move on. Uh, the next speaker is Corey Lance. It usually starts with an email or text message. Hey Corey, hope all is well. I would really love to get involved with transformation, but I have a few questions before I fully jump in. Would you be willing to meet with me? I often respond, sure, I'd love to meet with you. I welcome your questions and I'll do my best to answer them. At this point, I know where things are headed, but not exactly. I know there are going to be questions about our beliefs, our doctrine, our denomination, our partnerships, our affiliations, or something maybe even Dan posted on Facebook. <laughs> and sometimes the questions are more pointed at me personally, my faith, my political background, my beliefs, my views on the hot issues of this time. What I don't know is where this individual is coming from when they ask their questions. I could often assume based on little things I know about them, but I never really know. I've learned to be true to who I am in these conversations, but it doesn't always lead to agreement. Let me share a story about how this might go down. A while back ago, I received two similar emails on the same week. They both wanted to chat about something before they could fully jump into the work of transformation. I set up the meetings a day apart from each other. Meeting went number one. It was with a person who was very concerned about how we were handling issues regarding the LGBTQ community. He was concerned that we were going down a slippery slope in the ways we were interacting with this demographic of people. We were showing too much grace. We weren't standing on truth, and God needs us to put a stake in the ground for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> Meeting number two went like, like this. It was with another person. The next day, ironically, at the exact same restaurant, just one table over. <laughs> this person was also very concerned with how we're handling issues regarding the LGBTQ community. He was concerned with our narrow-minded thinking. and said we were causing more harm to the LGBT community by using by being so focused on truth rather than loving everyone. We were not fully understanding the gospel. Those conversations were cordial. I actually really enjoyed them. But I left both of them wondering, how can two Christians be so concerned with how we're handling something, but concerned about the exact opposite thing? How can one say we are too truth-oriented and the other say we are too grace-oriented? How can one think we are too narrow-minded and the other think we are too open-minded. How can both, both say the gospel supports their competing viewpoints? The other thing that made me turn to wonder was, what really caused them to be so concerned? Did either of them really know what I believed? What caused them to make their assumptions? I can't count the number of times that I've had similar conversations like this one. Not necessarily about the LGBTQ community, but about race and politics the welfare system, gun rights, marriage, the Bible, the death penalty, justice system, immigration, refugees, and the list goes on and on and on. We live in a world of choosing sides, often allowing our assumptions of others to place labels on people before we even get to know them. Amen. And once we begin getting to know them, we allow fear to block our curiosity. So I like to call us to a third way, the way of Jesus. And I call it standing in the middle. Standing in the middle is not weak or cowardly. It's not being indecisive. It's not staying quiet. It's not appeasing others. And it's certainly not avoiding the hot issues of our time. Standing in the middle is keeping the mission of loving people and making disciples front and center. It's pursuing people over position. It's not getting distracted by who's right and who's wrong. It's sacrificing the comforts of clear-cut answers in order to connect with the person that is on the other side. It's the posture of both grace and truth. Jesus showed us what it means to stand in the middle. He gave up comfort and resolution for the sake of his mission. He answered questions with better questions. He stepped into conflicts that included the death penalty, fights among his disciples, and theological debates. He refused to be neatly categorized and labeled in a manageable box or by a list of stances on the issues of his day. Amen. He hung with sinners but he also told others that they would not have eternal life if they didn't choose their way, change their way of living. He confused the heck out of both the religious <laughs> and the religious people. But he loved them enough to help them wrestle. Mm. Yeah. Instead of making policies, he made, made conversations. Instead of writing black and white proclamations on paper, Jesus attended meals around tables. Instead of avoiding messy people, he met them right where they were at. Mm. 
We see Jesus do this in John 4, which is the longest recorded encounter he had with anyone in the Bible. Jesus was on his way to Galilee, but he took a different route to meet a woman that nobody else really wanted to meet with. This woman was deemed a sinner and outcast and worthless by most everyone else in her community. Yet this was the first person that Jesus chose to reveal himself to. Jesus showed his love and grace by asking her something first. He asked for help. He said, can I have a drink of water? He connected with her through conversation after this. Then, after that, he followed up in truth by calling her out of her adulterous lifestyle. He called out her sin. He met her where she was at, and he called her to something greater. His disciples were confused that he would even be talking to this woman. Her lifestyle of sin and the way others, like his disciples, perceived him did not stop him from interacting with her. He knew his love would ultimately change the entire community once she shared about her encounter with himself. Jesus got focused on the mission, loving people and making disciples. We see Jesus' commitment again standing in the middle in John 8. He was caught between the religious leaders and a sinner. The religious leaders brought a woman caught in the act of adultery and stated, the Bible says she deserves to be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? They wanted Jesus to choose sides, but he chose a third way. He knelt down on the ground and began to write something on the ground. And I don't know what he wrote for sure, but I wonder if he was writing the sins of the religious leaders. Come on now. Pride. Greed. Envy. Slander. We do know that Jesus first addressed the religious leaders. If you haven't sinned, you cast the first stone. And we all know what they did. They dropped their stones and walked away. I wonder if the religious leaders thought Jesus was soft on this woman because he called out their sin first. I bet some of them left even accusing Jesus of never calling out the sin of the woman. However, Jesus did call out the woman's sin, but I'm guessing most of the religious leaders were gone at this point. He looked the woman in the eyes and he said, I don't condemn you, but go leave your life of sin. Jesus smiles a third way again by standing in the middle. He leads with grace and humility and kindness, but almost always falls up with truth in a way that demonstrates his extreme love for others. Charles Colson says this, life isn't like a book. Life isn't logical or orderly or sensible. Life is a mess most of the time. And our theology must be lived out in the midst of that mess. And standing in the middle can be messy. It can be lonely. But it can also be extremely, bring extremely rich relationships into our life. Being around people who think and act differently can lead to a better understanding of who Jesus is. It can sanctify us in ways of humility, sacrifice, and love. Standing in the middle can be uncomfortable, messy, and unpopular. But it ultimately keeps us focused on what matters most. Loving people and making disciples. So I'd like to invite us this, this morning to stand in the middle which I believe is the way of Jesus. It won't always be easy, but I believe it's definitely worth it. Amen. Um, I was, I was really impressed with Corey's speech. I didn't, when he, when he introduced the topic, which was uh, standing in the middle, when he told me about it, I didn't know where he's going to go with it. And I know Corey really well. Um, so I was anxious to see what he was going to say. And I felt like he did a, a great job of differentiating between standing in like a, like a soft middle position where you'd never take sides and you never really take a stand for anything. And what he calls the way of Jesus, where um, it's not as much about taking sides as it is standing with someone um, in the, in the midst of an issue. And I thought that was beautiful. I think that for me, I, I can tend to fall into the, the right versus left or the liberal versus progressive, Democrat versus Republican um, way of thinking. And I don't want to do that um, because I don't see myself as fitting e any of those categories. But sometimes it's just easier to, to adopt the way the right thinks or the way the left thinks, or it's easier to adopt it than to do the hard work of really thinking critically about uh, an issue about the people involved in the issue and, and trying to find the way um, 
that best lines up with the way of Jesus. And I think obviously as Christians, we're all called to, to emulate Jesus. And we see him, uh, one, one line that sticks out from what Corey said is that he confused the heck out of people, the religious and the irreligious. He confused them because his, his responses and his actions and his questions were not what they were hoping for or what they were expecting. Um, and so if we're just always parroting lines that we've heard other people say, or adopting all of one side's opinions, then, then I feel like we're probably not doing uh, what we're supposed to do as, as followers of Christ. So that's kind of where I land. Um, what are your thoughts? I, one thing, one, one question he had really stood out to me. He said, did Jesus ask about doctrinal beliefs before helping mm-hmm. people? And I mean, it really gets to what you're talking about there of not seeing, not, not kind of seeing these labels we put on people, right. When we're, when we're interacting with them, mm-hmm. um, so much of our conversations in just culture today are about identity. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like how we identify ourselves and how we identify other people that really kind of hovers over this conversation of mm-hmm. like, as Christians, the first thing that we should be bringing to the table is I'm standing next to somebody who is created in the image of God, just as I am. Like we share mm-hmm. that. Um, that's where our identity is. That's where it's, you know, the, the basis of it, but way too often, I feel like, again, at least in the Christian circles I grew up in, you know, you ask that question, did Jesus ask about doctrinal beliefs before helping people? The answer might be no, but yada, yada, yada. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't think there should be a, but there it's like, no, Mm -hmm. he didn't. He didn't ask about doctrinal beliefs. He helped people. And if there were, you know, things that he had to talk through with the person, later he did that but it mm-hmm. came out of that relationship and i i yeah i thought Corey did a great job of just really hitting home that idea that every person we meet bears the image of god and even if we disagree on important things that the fact that they bear the image of god is still true and we can talk about those disagreements but but that's not that's not the main thing and we so often i feel like make it the main thing mm-hmm. and it really and I'm speaking to myself here too. I've got a group of friends. We, we do like a group chat on politics and stuff. And so often, and these are my friends from college, people I'm really close with. So often I can get in my head, the label that I'm putting mm. on them because of some of the ideas they're talking about. And it's like, no, I, I know these people. They're, they're my friends. They are, you know, image bearers. They are great, great human beings and great Christians. And we might disagree on politics or even ways we live out our faith, but um, you know, that's in the grand scheme of things, much smaller deal. And so I thought, yeah, Corey's message was just a really, uh, like, like the name of the event, a very timely topic, one that we need to think through a little bit more deeply because this, this division in our world is not going away. We've got to figure out a way to deal with it in a healthy way or, you know, we're, we're in trouble. I mean, it's not, it's not just going to go away on its own. So um, I think we need to have more events like this, you know, where we're talking through things like this. And I thought Corey did a great job of bringing that out. Yeah. I like that you kind of focused on how we put labels on people or put people in categories. You know, you and I, one of the first things we, that we did like this together was the book study about the book, Disunity in Christ. And that book talks a lot about the sociology behind why we put people in categories. Some, some of it is we have to, in order to kind of process information and and manage all of the things that we're taking in. So I I guess I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I don't think we're going to get past actually trying to put people in categories or put labels on people. It's just our brains kind of work that way. Um, We have to be more careful and more discerning about what labels we put on people um, because there's usually, there's usually some, some truth in those labels, right? Like, well, we're both white men, but that's a big, broad category. So I guess the thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is we have to leave room within those categories for variety. Um, so yes, we're both white men, but we're, ba- we're very different people. Um, yeah. we have different life experiences. We see the world differently in, in some ways. Um, we're different ages. We have different interests. And, but we all, but we still fit in the category of white men. So for yep. someone to look at us and go, ah, oh, you're just a bunch, you're just a couple of white men. I know who you are. That's not fair to us because we, there's variety represented here. 
And that's true of every category that we put on people. Um, so we have to be careful that once we've decided on a label that we don't hold people to whatever our stereotype of that label is, um, because there's variety. Uh, people are just too unique, uh, too uh, individualized to fit into a broad category like that perfectly. Um, so I think that's something I want to keep in mind um, as I go about like looking at the news and looking at issues and and saying, oh, these kind of people are on one side of the issue. These kind of people are on the other side of the issue. I have to remember that there's a broad spectrum within both of those categories. Um, the other thing that it makes me think about is just my theme for this year was unity. And I think all of the spe all of the topics touch on the idea of unity a little bit, but Corey's um, especially helped me see practical things that, that can lead to, to more unity uh, within the body of Christ. And, and just choosing this third way, this way of Jesus, I think really can serve as a, a bridge that brings people together. Um, so I want to I want to keep exploring that. All right. The last one is Dr. Regina Hill, and her talk was called The Truth About the Truth. So my topic is the truth about truth. Mm -hmm. um, so what is truth? Webster defines truth as the body of real things, events and facts. In this country, there are things that people have experienced that are true. Events that have, been that have taken place that are true. And facts are pieces of information or evidence presented as objective reality. <clears throat> Currently, our country is in a battle over truth. Racism is being exposed through legislation opposing historical truths because some white people want to be shielded from discomfort and guilt. Even right here in our state of Indiana, House Bill 1134 regarding critical race theory being taught in public schools, which passed in the House in January, but yet a few weeks ago did not pass in the Senate. These legislations are employed to silence the voices of truth tellers across this country instead of encouraging those who oppose the truth to do the necessary work to not repeat history. Now you may be thinking, Dr. Hill, Surely history will not repeat itself. We've come too far as a country to enact slavery and Jim Crow laws. And you're right. But historical truths of people of color are at war with the normative and invisible nature of whiteness and privilege. Similar to the times of slavery and Jim Crow laws, there is a desire to avoid discomfort in our quest for racial justice. Topics such as the critical race theory, the 1619 Project, Implicit Bias, and others are being challenged, and legislation is being brought forth in many states to ban teachings, books, and trainings because some white people want to be shielded from the discomfort and guilt. To quote my colleague, Dr. Drew Pierce, a phenomenal professor in our philosophy department at St. Mary's College, the goal of such legislation, quote, is not, is not only to prevent white discomfort, it is to preserve and protect white ignorance, end quote. This is dangerous. There's an African proverb that I absolutely love. Those of you that have been around me are heard me speak before. I say this all the time. It goes, until the story of the hunt is told by the lion, the hunt will always glorify the hunter. For so long, we have been told stories from the perspective of the hunter. Very little is taught within the K-12 system from the lion's perspective. Counter-narratives amplifiers such as critical race theory and the 1619 Project are elevating the wars of lions in our, country and this, in our country's history and present. These conduits for conveying historical truths are under attack and we must come together to fight against institutionalized racism. I guess that. I, as a black woman, mother, higher education administrator, educator, truth teller, recognize the dangers of erasing historical truths. Just a few weeks ago, I was cooking dinner and my daughter was doing her homework on the island. We often talk about her schooling, what she's learning, so that I can balance it with the truth. <laughs> and so this particular day, she is making a poster and she's coloring and when she's done, She's like, mommy, come look. Look at what I did. And I go over and I'm shocked. 
because in big letters I see, join the Patriots. Mm. And I'm like, what, what's this assignment? <laughs> and so I finished reading and she's, she's written on this poster, fight for good rights. We are not having soldiers in our houses. We are not going to upgrade taxes. We are not letting them break us down. Join the Patriots and help us win the war. And I am devastated. As a mother raising a black daughter in this country, especially during this time. And I'm thinking there's so much to unpack here. <laughs> so we have a conversation about her assignment. What exactly are you supposed to be doing? Well, we're making posters to hang up, hang up so that we can encourage people to join the Patriots. What are Patriots? They're the people who love uh, freedom and they want freedom. What year is this? <laughs> 1776. Wow. Where are black people in 1776? Come on, girl. Why is a little black girl writing a sign to join the Patriots for 1776? Oh, Jesus. To end the war in 1776? Mommy, I don't know. What are you talking about? So remember we talk about slavery? And what happens in this country because of slavery and what we're facing now? So we weren't free in 1776. I said, so for you as a little black girl, writing this sign for an assignment is appalling to me. Mm. Two days after Black History Month. Are you guys having discussions about what else is taking place during this time? Are they talking about black and brown people and indigenous people? No, that's a problem. Because there's so much nuance in this. And so I encouraged her. I said, we're gonna, we're gonna tweak this assignment. We're gonna add some sentences to this assignment. And if your teacher says something, call me. So we added these two sentences. Also, in the war against slavery, free enslaved Africans in 1776. Come on, girl. I always discuss what my daughter is learning in school to balance it out with truth and not partial truths when it comes to the experiences of black, brown, and indigenous people in this country. It is so crucial that we have these conversations because little is being taught in the K through 12 systems to balance it out. In 2019, Ibram Kendi released his New York Times bestseller book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. In his book, Kendi introduces the concept of anti-racism and challenges readers to rethink our conversations and approach to racism, especially in our country. Kendi asks us to think about what an anti-racist society might look like and how we can play an active role in building it. He defines anti-racism as the active process of identifying and eliminating racism by changing systems, organizational structures, policies and practices and attitudes so that power is redistributed and shared equitably. When we choose to become anti-racist, it is taking on the belief that racism is everyone's problem and we all have a role in playing to stopping it. We can no longer ignore it, we cannot remain silent or brush it off as if it's no big deal. We all have a responsibility to end racism. On a daily basis, this responsibility looks like becoming actively conscious about our country's past and examining how it has informed our present. Becoming anti-racist doesn't happen overnight. In his book, he has this recommendations for white people. He says being anti-racist evolves with their acknowledgement of truth surrounding their racial identity and development. They must acknowledge and understand the truth about whiteness and privilege. Daryl Wing Sue argued that white people are responsible for exposing the truth about whiteness and privilege in this country. Sue suggested that white people should A, actively make whiteness visible, B, explore themselves as racial and cultural beings, and C, take responsibility for defining whiteness in a non-defensive and non-racist manner. And D, sorry, and D, take anti-racist actions aimed at the individual institutional 
institutional and cultural levels. The responsibility of dismantling whiteness and privilege is not the responsibility of people of color. White people must take an active role in challenging their counterparts to expose and dismantle whiteness and systemic racism. For people of color, being anti-racist means recognizing the truth about how race and racism has been internalized and whether it has been applied to other people of color. Kendi urges people of color to act by challenging the lies of internalized white supremacy and interrupting patterns and messages received from racist society. As a black woman, I can tell you that this work is challenging at first. Years of receiving lies through messages of inferiority, yet countered with messages of love from family, faith, friends, and community, somehow those messages unconsciously seeps through not realizing they have been internalized. Come on. To quote the great Audre Lorde, she says, the true focus of revolutionary change is never merely the oppressive situation which we seek to escape, but the peace of the oppressor which is planted deep within each of us. Today, I challenge you to wrestle with the truth. The truth about your identity, the truth about privilege, and the truth about our country's history. Listen to the lion and hear the lion's roar. Thank you. Yeah, so this was really cool to be here uh, with Dr. Regina Hill, who I consider a mentor of mine. Um, we worked together at Bethel at, in the admission office, and it was a time when um, I was uh, in my upperclassman years in college, and that's you know kind of a time when you're figuring out who you are and just learning um, a lot of new things. And, and you know, I've talked before on this podcast about prior to my college years you know, had a lot of blind spots on race and, um, she's just been a great, a great impact and, and just a good friend. Um, I've, I've really, uh, you know, appreciated the fact that she's been open to, uh, yeah, just me bouncing questions off her, and, um, you know, going to her for advice. Uh, and she, again, just is someone who is doing incredible work in our community, you know, and, uh, now what she's doing at, both at St. Mary's and then through her, her business consulting on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, yeah, just really making a, a major impact. So it was incredible to have her here um, and, and to hear her speak on this topic, which I think, you know, one of the things she's great at is telling the truth on really difficult topics, right? Things that maybe, well, when we had her on the podcast last year, you know, talking about um, critical race theory, a very charged topic these days, uh, but just really getting to the heart of issues. I think she's very good at that. And and she did that here. I thought that she just brought a lot of wisdom to, again, what is a, a, a difficult topic to, to uh, handle uh, gently sometimes, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot of discomfort here, but that word to me was key in, in what she said is that sometimes it's important to, uh, to have that discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. To sit in it for a little bit and not just brush it away. I, I, I'll kind of take it to a, a different area. This isn't dealing with race, but like in my marriage, you know, sometimes Sarah and I may not see eye to eye on something and, you know, we fight or, you know, we somebody's getting angry, right? And sometimes we both need to just kind of take a minute and, hey, I, I, I've got to go in the other room and just kind of you know, simmer down for a little bit or whatever, but there's this discomfort, right? That you got to work through and it's not just brushing it aside. And I think uh, Dr. Hill really got to the heart of the issue that, especially when it comes to race, we often try to brush things aside just to make it easier. And that, that doesn't bring healing, you know, right. that just pushes the issue down the road. And um, as much as we would like to say, you know, as a society, we've gotten to a point where you know, it's a post-racial society or whatever. That's just not the truth. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we need to sit in that, that discomfort and wrestle with, okay, yeah, maybe maybe my generation didn't do some of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we still need to think, one, about the things that were done. And also, mm -hmm. what are the things that my generation is doing? That, okay, maybe it's not slavery or whatever. Maybe it's not Jim Crow. Uh, 
but there's still things going on today that are not right. And um, yeah, I, I think that discomfort is not always a bad thing. And I thought that was really powerful. And I'll even say too, at this point, like, so I was in the discussion group, um, you know, afterwards from this, and we, we had a really good discussion, but it did get a little, um, I don't want to say heated, like it wasn't, it wasn't like angry back and forth and name calling and that kind of thing. But it was people that I think came into, uh, you know, the, the day with just some different viewpoints, right. And, and in trying to talk those out, um, you know, it became clear that, yeah, we might have some differences on how we uh, come at this idea of, you know, the, the truth around, um, you know, racial differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and so there was a little discomfort there. But again, I'll say that discomfort was really, I think, a good thing for that discussion. Uh, because for me, at least, I'll just speak for myself. Um, yeah, there were points where I was like, oh, I don't know if I, if I agree with that. But instead of what my kind of initial, uh, you know, trigger usually is, which is try to, you know, make my point a little more forcefully, um, the, the way the whole event was kind of structured, I, I listened, right, to other people mm. and, and what they were saying. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was, I felt like what Regina was talking about and that idea of kind of a good discomfort and, and that we shouldn't just brush that aside. It kind of happened then afterwards. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I did feel a little like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I agree with what everyone else is saying in this group, but I heard what they were saying. And then afterwards kind of got to talk with people. And then we had our, you know, the sharing. And um, again, like I said before, it was just such a, a celebratory end to the day um, mm-hmm. that it was like, oh, okay, this is sort of a picture of, of maybe what could bring healing to, you know, the culture at large, if we were actually listening and kind of sitting in the discomfort for a little bit and learning from that and then coming back together, like that, Mm -hmm. that picture was just really beautiful. Um, And I thought it, you know, Regina really set the tone for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really thankful that, um, that she took us where she took us. Um, She talked about history and kind of some of the, the things that are happening in schools and different things like that. But she brought it all back to kind of her sweet spot of expertise, which is talking about race, talking about racism, systemic racism, uh, historical racism, all those things, which does make it probably of the of the three speeches. I think it was probably the most uncomfortable for people mm-hmm. to hear. Um, but and this may sound weird, but I was so happy that she did that um, because yeah. I think that's so necessary and it leads to great discussions like what you had in your group. Um, and, and you explained it so well, what happened in your group and what, what I take encouragement from is that the people that were in that group probably don't see eye to eye still. So the goal isn't that you all come to this point where you all finally agree on something, but you understand each other better and you can move and you can move forward together. Um, yeah, some of the, some of the viewpoints that I heard represented at the end during the debrief time, I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. But I, I want to spend more time with those people. I want to keep learning from them and understanding them and their story and why they see things the way they see things. And it, not so that we can get on the same page eventually, but so that we can both understand each other, understand the differences, celebrate those differences and move forward together. I, I just yeah. think that's possible. And it's not something that I've seen modeled a lot, um, at least in church or in, in organizational ways. Of, of really embracing and celebrating differences and, and moving forward together in that. And I think that's something that we're not gonna get everybody on the same page with every issue. And we shouldn't have to in order to move forward together, especially in the body of Christ. If we wanna reach unity, it doesn't mean that we all have to think the same or be the same, but we all have to move forward toward Christ together. Um, and I think the only way we're gonna do that is if we, if we embrace and celebrate each other's differences. Yeah. I think sometimes we forget that the Bible gives us pretty good pictures of what this is supposed to look like. I mean, you read through the new Testament. I mean, two examples that just come to mind right off the bat would be Peter and Paul, Mm. Paul and Barnabas, like people that had very uh, pronounced differences of opinion on like deep faith matters. Right. Mm -hmm. And there were arguments and even splits that happened, Mm -hmm. but 
but they were still able to minister to where God had called them Mm -hmm. and even times come back together and work together and work through that. Um, There, to me, there, there is a, a recipe, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, a way to, yeah, have the kind of unity you're talking about where it's not just all, you know, lollipops and gumdrops and we're all, you know, making it work together and, and yeah, there's differences, right. And there's, there's deep differences, but that doesn't mean that it has to stop there. That, yeah. like, we can still have a relationship and we can still um, have ministry, maybe to different groups, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, the ministry that somebody I disagree with, maybe they're supposed to be ministering to a group that's more conservative and more, you know, just different than where God is calling me. And that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. that's absolutely okay. And I think we just get so caught up in, yeah, everybody has to sort of have the same ministry right yeah. the same yeah. kind of picture of, of what that's supposed to look like and i don't i don't think practically that's how uh how the bible calls us to do it or it just in life how it works <laughs> i think right. you, you you live around people and you find it gets messier than that mm-hmm. that's one thing I, I and i think this kind of brings us back to the the big purpose of this event this podcast some of the other things that we've done and, and plan to do are really just to facilitate these chances for people to get together to hear each other's stories, to understand each other better, to recognize there's some similarities, even with someone who you're very different from, um, you can find some similarities to move forward together with. Um, and I, I, I just think um, nothing, nothing is better than when you finally open yourself up to someone else's perspective and, I, and you aren't threatened by it and you can learn from it. Doesn't mean you have to adopt it, but yep. you can learn from it and it can, it can give you a fuller picture of a situation, um, of a community of a people group, or I just believe that it can give us a better picture of who God is. Um, and so I, I just want to keep doing more and more of this stuff with that in mind. Uh, if we do this again, which I think we're going to actually, I can say now we are going to do it. Um, uh, we're looking at June 25th for the next one. Um, but with that in mind, Aaron, what what could we do better? What, just real practically speaking, is a, are there changes you would suggest, um, ways to tweak it that would make it maybe a little bit better? More people there, right? That's I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, again, like I said, I, the to me the format was so uh, unique, and not to, you know, again, we talk about. I've certainly been to other events that have done breakout sessions after mm-hmm. a speaker, right? But. Um, the coming back together and having that, that debrief where again, yeah, it wasn't the speakers doing it, but then it was, it was those of us who were in the audience Mm -hmm. who kind of engaged with what they had to say. And then, you know, gave our own viewpoints on it. Like it, it all, um, it was, it was a very unique style of event, even though some of the bits and pieces of it have, you know, I've, I've been to events that have, have done those before, but I, I, I just left, I can't think of another event like this where I left feeling so um, filled, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 left, uh, yeah, on on a, a more of a high than feeling like drained by mm-hmm. some of the difficult topics we we had gotten mm-hmm. into. So um, yeah, I would just say the biggest thing to change is yeah, let's let's have more of these. Let's have more people attend, um, and you know, continue to hear from more speakers. Uh, because uh, these are, like I said, when when we started this podcast, um, I know Transformation's been doing um, work like this, you know, for years now. But these are the kind of events I think we had in mind, and uh, it was just really cool to see it come to fruition and not just be something that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you I'll let you in on a little secret. So the whole debrief time at the end, I wasn't planning on doing that originally. That was Marla's idea. Um, when I, when I sent out the schedule, Marla was like, what if we all came back together at the end and just debriefed and then we could pray together before we leave. So shout out to Marla. Um, that was a huge, that was a huge part of what made the day what it was. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. And the other thing that you made me think about was you've, you've organized events and run events before, and you know, they're just exhausting. They're just a lot of times you're looking forward to the end of the event because you're, it's just so much work leading up to it. But I'll say that I walked out of there so full, just so thankful, so joyful, so happy that we did it. It wasn't like a big sigh of relief. Oh, thank goodness. That's finally over. 
it was like, man, I'm so glad we did this and I want to do it again. So that lets you know, at least, at least in my mind, it let me know like that was, this is a, a really special event. Well, and definitely shout out to Marla for having that idea, but also shout out to you, Dan, because I've been in a lot of event planning rooms Mm -hmm. where if somebody had made, uh, you know, a suggestion like that, it would have been very easy for the Mm -hmm. event planners to be like, well, great. Yeah, but we've got our own idea for how this event is going to go. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. the fact that you even listened to that, I think really Mm -hmm. set the tone for how the event went, right? Because that's that idea Mm -hmm. of listening to other people's opinions and ideas, uh, just that vibe was yeah. at the heart of the whole event. So yeah. um, I, the fact that you did that, I think was great. Um, and I, yeah, I've, I have been in, in a lot of those event planning sessions and sometimes people just shut down some really good ideas and it's like, <laughs> Oh, that would have been interesting to actually, you know, try that out. But yeah. 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 I've learned that you listen to black women. That's, I mean, yes. that's really all yep. there's to it. <laughs> So, but I want to give one last uh, shout out to all of our speakers, to Marla, Corey, and Regina. You guys were amazing. Thank you so much for uh, everything that you did. And thank you to everyone who attended Timely Topics. Uh, Once again, we're going to do it again. And that's on June 25th. It's another Saturday. The time will be about 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You'll be hearing more about it um, as we we get closer to it. Uh, One thing I wanted to mention is that if you want to know about future events and things like that, you can join our mailing list. We have a mailing list of transformation. Uh, you can go to our website, which is transformation58.com. And there should be a link at the, at the bottom of the page for you to sign up for a mailing list. If you don't see that link, you can also just email us at any time. And the email address is info at transformation58.com. And I can put you on the mailing list. So yeah, just, just take those steps, uh, stay in, stay in step with what we're doing. And, um, We'll look forward to the next event. I hope that I hope that we see a lot more people there. Any last thoughts before we go, Aaron? I just again, even just now talking about the event, um, I'm getting that same feeling welling up in me. And just kind of remembering back to the conversations that happened. So definitely encourage people sign up for the email list so you can get you know the latest uh, information on on any future events we're doing, and definitely make make plans to be at that June 25th event because uh, yeah, I have not been to another event quite like this here in the area. So uh, definitely, definitely plan to be there. All right, thanks. Thank you.